as an anxious person, you you're constantly thinking about things to worry about. If the, if you haven't thought about something to worry about, that's a concern in itself. Anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia, with over two million people experiencing it each year. One in three women and one in five men will go through anxiety in their lifetime, and it can be extremely difficult for many people to live with. All those aspects of my life merge in my mind at one moment in time. It's quite scary. My guest today sharing his own experience of anxiety is Sammy King. Sammy is a peer support worker for Headspace, Australia's go-to service for youth mental health support. These days, he puts a lot of energy into helping young people because it wasn't long ago he really needed help himself. So I was very able to put on a face that outside world wouldn't be able to tell what I was going through. He takes us into how it feels to have a panic attack and what it's like to live inside a mind that's constantly overwhelmed by negative thoughts. We talk about the power of accepting your own mental health struggles and the liberation that can come with seeking help. It gave me back that energy that I just completely lost. And stick around at the end, Phoebe Drioli Phillips from the University of Adelaide School of Psychology drops in to tell us about her PhD research on how men talk about anxiety and seek help online. We're talking about control and a sense of having lost control to the anxiety and that really comes up a lot. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast about young men's health sponsored by the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Before we get into it, I'm going to take 15 seconds to let you know we are looking to find sponsors who are keen for the opportunity to be part of the show and welcome any ideas from those who are interested on how we might be able to work together. So please hit us up via email, youngbloodpodcast at hotmail.com. All right, Sammy, so anxiety is more than just feeling stressed and worried. Can you explain what diagnosed anxiety is compared to just the, the feelings that we that we all have from time to time? Yeah. So anxiety, I guess you touched upon it there, is that we all feel nervous. We can all feel those those moments of quick anxiety of uh, speaking in front of crowds, for example. You know, your heart race goes, um, sweating, get a bit nervous. But anxiety is when that feeling continues on to every day occurrences or everyday things that you do and it can range it can range from anything from sending a text message to somebody you know well those feelings resonate again with you so you can become nervous for absolutely no reason that's it and i guess um generally people would think that you have to have a reason something has to motivate that response you have to be thinking about something that's going to happen or something that has happened in the past and, and having a reaction to something realistic and and logical but why is that not the case necessarily? I don't think it's the case because um, you know in a moment, um, I'll go back to my, my text message example, you know that it, it, it's not real, the, the thoughts that you have, the nervousness that you think that something's going to go wrong from that text message. You know that your friend's going to text back and it'll be okay. But it's that thought that's in the back of your mind that something might not go okay. And it's that that's the real problem and that'll stop you from doing the basics really well when do you remember f first having those very sort of intense feelings of anxiety i think it was really my f real f uh, full-time job um i finished uni um i did a politics degree and i was very fortunate to to get intern work at a political office and as you may know from politics it's a pretty full-on profession and although i wasn't a politician just being in that environment it can be pretty intense 
And uh, I remember you being in that office and working in that environment and it, it's quite intense and it does build some anxieties within you. What did you first notice? You didn't have these sort of symptoms at uni. It was just when you started, when you got into an office scenario for the first time. Do you remember uh, a particular day or moment where you started to notice that something didn't feel right? I don't think it was one particular moment per se, but it's very much it's it's you can look at the tasks that you were doing. For example, I I remember being at the computer and it'd be sending a simple email uh, and thinking to myself, okay, I haven't done this right or it's not going to be right or someone's going to come back to me and it's going to be wrong. And, um, and then you do simple tasks like you might be filing things away and again that voice would come into your head and be like, you're doing it wrong, it's done wrong, let's not do that, let's avoid that next time. And so was that different to just you know, self-doubt that you might have because you're doing something for the first time? Like I'm sure that, that plays into it where anyone who's starting off in their chosen field or you know they're leveling up and moving on in their profession they're going to think oh it's going to take me a while to get used to this you know perhaps I'm not cut out for it those are sort of normal thoughts to have but I guess how overwhelming did it get for you yeah it got quite overwhelming for me because you know you go into any new job and you think you're learning all the time but I think there's an aspect where you're anxious you want you want to do the best straight away and you 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 want to own what you're doing really you want to be stand out and be given credit as doing a good job and that's just not the case um anywhere um i can recognize that now you know you do a job you do a job well you don't have to always get credit for that but in that moment if you're not getting that and you're quite anxious then you're just piling it on yourself with negative thoughts and regardless of whether you've done a good job or a bad job you're the one who's going to be telling yourself that no that's 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 terrible you, you know you're going to do it terribly again let's not do that and so how did it affect your performance see this this is the difficult thing because overall because anxiety is something that's in in your mind it's something that you're telling yourself i probably didn't do a too too bad a job at all i i probably did a very decent admirable job for it being my first full-time profession and what about um outside of the the office did you notice it in other areas of your life in terms of those thought patterns yeah it's it starts to it starts to go outside of the space where it originates in, in my in my experience you start taking some of that anxiety home and it starts to develop in other places um it, it's just not a fun experience when it starts to evolve into your, your your wider life and so where else did you start to notice it mostly with my friends and my girlfriend at the time you start to question things that they say which you know that they might not be true but you begin to question whether the motives behind them are are correct whether they're thinking alternative things about you um yeah that's that's really where it's expanded into and so um how did you view yourself at that time what was your self-esteem like very low and um, very low indeed um i didn't have a high self-esteem about myself and um, those constant thoughts of beating myself down and saying that nothing was good enough um yeah you really can get to a really low place um, it's really it's exaggerated by the fact that you know all your all the places that you can go to for support no matter what they say you're, you're still telling yourself that that's false and it creates a very negative surrounding and so having that negativity in your work life and then broadening out into your social life 
how did you start to react or act differently? Like, did you withdraw or what sort of things did you do? Yeah, for me, for me, it was very much, it was um, withdrawal in my personal life. But I think a big thing for me was that I was very capable of putting on a persona that I was very able to put on a face that outside world wouldn't be able to tell what I was going through. So um, in that aspect, it was, it was, it was quite lonely, you know, socially, I didn't have many options. I wasn't able to talk about my anxiety with people. But on the contrary, I was able to load myself up. I was able to take on more work, more responsibilities, um, so that I didn't have to go to those lonely places. And that mask that you put on, what were what was that person like or how was that different to how you were actually feeling? Well, I actually look back and um, I think of that personality. He was very very flamboyant, very open, very centre of the party, wanted to be the... the the joker wanted to be the clown that was getting everyone's laugh and everyone's love and everyone's attention. And we're, we're inside. That's it's not quite what was happening. So how did you feel when you were playing that character? Did you feel like a fraud, like that wasn't actually you? Like, did it really feel like you were putting that on to try and elicit the response that you felt you needed? Or were there parts of that that you felt were, were you as well? Yeah, I'd like to believe that a lot of it was me. It, it was it, it would have been me in a better space, but it was it was false in the sense that I was so easily able to slip into that and just put my own mental health aside, and it, as if they were two separate beings, they weren't the the same. And then you'd have to go back to the reality of of how you felt, so you're sort of slipping in and out. Yeah, very much so. But it was more easy to just put on that persona whenever I wanted. So those those mental health issues I was having, they were always there and they were always building and the pressure was piling constantly because of the things that I was doing with my persona. I just didn't want to acknowledge. And what about the other people in your life? Were you, given that you were putting on that persona a lot of the time, were you sharing with anyone close to you how you were really feeling or did you feel ashamed? No, I didn't really share at all. There was, there was a lot of shame um, that was involved with my mental health, a, a lot of stigma that I put on myself. Um, and because there were so many, so many areas of my social life, my work life, my, my education, because there were so many areas that it, it felt as if I had a responsibility to uphold the persona that, that they knew and that I couldn't disappoint. Like the world wanted the persona you, not yeah. the real you. Well they, well, they knew me because the amount, all those new things that you take on, you what that's the character you've shown them and that's the person they know. So to, to all of a sudden pull the carpet from beneath that character's feet and go, hey, this is the new me. For someone with anxiety and has doubts about their own self, that's a, that's a very challenging thing. And it's yeah, you don't want to be easy. that character, you want to be the superhero in your mind. Exactly, and especially if that person's already liked and especially already loved by these people you, you've, you've, you've associated with. So what was it like keeping that up? Very difficult, very, very difficult indeed in, in all aspects of, of my life. How long did you feel like you were doing that for? Too long. Is the quick and short answer too long in the sense that I don't really know where that began to be honest like years though you're talking about oh yeah well and surely um I mean I mentioned the, the previous girlfriend um you know it was, it was definitely over a span at that time and beforehand as well and um, that that had been going on so it was something that developed in high school for me and really went through past university so it, it's quite quite a scale of time oh, what about your your family like your parents and those relationships did you let them in on what was happening or did they ask 
Or did everyone get sucked into believing that everything was all good with you? I think everyone believed that everything was all good with me. And I don't think that they were an option to talk to at the time, which is quite sad. Uh, is that because they just they didn't show that they were open to wanting to help you with that sort of thing? Or were you not open to reaching out? No, I think I think my family um, and my friends at the time would have been very open to to me opening up. It was very much a me. I didn't want to show them the other side of me, really. And so in retrospect, um, after obviously they've, I assume a lot of those people are still in your life, or some of them, um, and they've heard your story subsequently, what, uh, what's been their reaction to hearing about what was really going on? Well, I mean, you said that um, a lot of people have heard my story, and it, it's a correct presumption to make. I mean, I'm, I'm quite open with my story. I've told it many a time. But even to this day, I haven't exactly sat down with my own family and explained what I've been through, um, which is still a part of the journey that I'm going on with my own mental health. Uh, what about your friends? How have they reacted? Friends can be very supportive when you, when you begin to open up. Um, I think they know in an aspect, but it's difficult for them to talk to, to you about your mental health, especially if the support's not there for them. My current girlfriend, she's been super supportive. It's been very easy to, and open to talk to her about it. And what is it about you know, the way she approaches it that makes it easy to talk to her? An understanding and empathy, I think. Um, a lot of people want to be sympathetic towards your, your mental health and you know, it's, it's very sad and they understand. But I think a, a genuine attempt to understand why you're upset and what's, what's causing this and where can we go work together to find a solution, it's, it's definitely empowering for yourself. When did you go from um, you know, realising that you, know, you were feeling pretty anxious a lot of the time to really believing that it was a, it was a problem and it was perhaps something quite serious, not just, um, you know, uh, not normal? Yeah, there's, a, there's a, quite a few scenarios where it's, it's not normal. Um, a lot of them I acknowledge now that I can look back. Um, but I think the, for me, it was when I began to slip into depressions um, that got to quite dark places. That was definitely a, a light bulb moment for me. Can you tell us a bit about you know, those times you delve into or go back to uh, moments that you remember where it got really hard and you realised that you needed some help? So I've been unfortunate to to have numerous panic attacks uh, as they be as they be known, and they're very uncomfortable. I'm very fortunate now to have a lot of control over those situations. They come up, and they kind of blindside you. You 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 know when they're coming because you've suppressed things, you haven't addressed issues, you you've added stress, and then they'll blindside you by going, "Well, you haven't addressed those. Here you are." So is it like creating a, a perfect storm kind of thing where you? You have various um, components that add up to lead to a panic attack. For me personally, it very much is. For other people, it, it might just be a singular moment that, that will set them off into having a panic attack. But as you said, for me, it's the build-up and ignoring issues. So when it does come, I'm quite fortunate to be able to, in the moment, go, no, this isn't quite right. I'm feeling really unwell. I just need a moment. Can you take us into one of your panic attacks? What would actually happen for someone who doesn't understand what that feels like? What's it like? 
Yeah, I actually recently had one a couple of weeks ago. University, a um, lot of assignments due, having a few issues at work, and my social life issues as well. Just things I weren't wasn't addressing, and so I was sat at a pub. I was having a lovely meal with my girlfriend, and we were just discussing life in general. And a moment occurred when I felt all those aspects of my life merge in my mind at one moment in time. And it was it was quite a full pub dining room. And I remember just putting my hands on the table, beginning to just shake. If you've been on a roller coaster, beginning to gray out. So the, the room became just getting a little bit darker around the edges. And just a, a need, an adrenaline rush just to speak everything that was in my mind but my, what was in my mind wasn't coherent i wasn't able to get a control of a thought it was just there and just being completely taken over by emotion to, to physically stop me from thinking or doing anything else it's quite scary and so what do you do in that moment do you just wait it out did you have to leave the pub in that particular circumstance no um i'm very good at being able to acknowledge that i'm, I'm having one now so I was just, for, I was able just to vocally say, I'm having a panic attack. I'm not having a good situation here. And again, my girlfriend is brilliant. And so we were able just to, to breathe for a moment, acknowledge that right now where we are, we were safe. We're in a pub. Nothing's going to happen. It's a nice dining room. So in that moment, I was able just to take a little bit of control back. My head's still swimming. My body's still reacting the way it is. But just being able just to sit there and know that I'm in safety and I'm with company who's going to look after me. Um, I was able just to regain that control. And that was only a, f- a few weeks ago, not long ago that that happened. What about when that first started happening and you didn't know what it was? You know, How was that to deal with when you didn't have that girlfriend there as well? Very scary. Um, when, when they first began happening, my instant response was isolation, um, which, is, which is not recommended. Um, because then you don't get a moment to to clarify those thoughts that are swimming. So when those thoughts are swimming at the pub, over time I was able to just extract them and just say them, and we were able to talk them out that you would in any situation with a problem. If you've got no one to pull you out of it, though, you just... They're just going to keep going, and that, that mixture's going to keep growing until you can start seeing what the issues are, but they're not going to be clear... And they're going to grow into bigger issues and well, they're going to appear to grow in bigger issues. So when you do come out of this anxious state, you've, you've been left with a mindset that's so negative and, and so doomed um, that your mood just tanks. How extreme does the panic get or has it been in the past? Have you actually convinced yourself that you're in, in danger in that moment or felt like you, know, you were going to die or something terrible was going to actually happen? No, not not in the sense that I was going to die because um, my panic attacks come from moments where I've overthought and I, I'm the one who's laid out at the table the problems that I've had and haven't deal with them. So they tend to be moments of reflection that most of us do on a daily basis. So I've been quite by myself in those moments. So the way that mine have panned out has been to the point where very negative, everything's going to go wrong in these situations that I'm panicking about in my head. Yeah, and then you think of them all one by one and then think of them all together and then it yeah. becomes overwhelming because there's all these different areas that are all going to go wrong. Very much. So when things 
um, pop up in your life and you're like, yeah, this is something that I'm going to have to deal with or this is something that I'm going to have to deal with. Do you have a good feel for what those things are when they arise? Yeah, I'm getting very good at this now. I'm able to go where I can put my attention towards and understand that I, I don't have unlimited, as much as I wish I could devote myself to everything in my life, we just can't and I personally can't and I think one of the things that I'm learning as I get older is that I do have to, to divvy out my time to the things I want and accept that that time is going to come with stresses. It's just, it's a matter of how many of those stresses I can take on. And knowing that if you do keep putting all these things off that inevitably you're going to continue to have panic attacks, you know, no, no matter how long you go on for. Very much so, mm. which is quite difficult. It's quite scary to know that, but it's also positive in the sense that the more I'm learning and the more I know that this is something to do with me, the more I'm able just to take control of them. And I, I, I am confident at one point I won't have panic attacks anymore. I'll still be anxious and I'll still have anxiety, but it won't take control of me in the same way that it currently does. I, I'm in a position where I don't believe that there is a finish line of, of mental health. Mm. Like you, don't, you, you don't cure depression. You don't cure anxiety. I believe that you, you're going on a journey throughout life and it will come back at certain points and you're going to dip and flow and go with it you got to work at it you do like you really body. do when your narrative inside your head is so negative that it becomes it begins to go onto other people that you don't even know um one of my worst experiences was public transport where people's slight comments that i couldn't even hear and were not even about me these people don't even know me you translate to meaning there's something about you um people walking down the street, making coughs or sneezes, normal everyday things that we all do, you translating them to think it's about you and being a negative thought about yourself. So how did you, how did you see the world at that time when, with that happening? It's quite a, quite a low place. Um, a lot of self-reflection that was very negative. Um, not very hopeful place, to be honest. And just like go into that a bit more, like what did you used to say to yourself or how did you view your prospects and where you were at as well? Um, not many prospects, to be honest. Um, you, don't, you don't really look towards the future when you're in such a dark place. Um, you're very short-term focused. You're very much a goal for the day. And the future really isn't a thing that you think about, even if you, you have the likes of university um, set up, you know, those daily routines that, they don't come into it when you're thinking about down the line. Did you feel like you really went into a steep decline very quickly and sort of out of nowhere? Like did, when you were at uni and when you were at school, did you feel um, generally pretty confident and pretty optimistic and then it was sudden or was it more gradual than you probably first realised? It's definitely more gradual. I mean, for me, this has happened over um, – this happened over – for a very large period of time. How many How many years would you say? Well, I mean, from the end of high school for me, which I would have been 17 to about 23. So there's six years, if my maths correct. Yeah. Um, so over a six-year period, it's, it's gradually evolved um, from being something that's just there niggling to something that's become my life and the way I acted and the way I was. With that internship, did you end up dropping out of that did you give up on your politics aspirations because of this i did at that point i started to realize the the parts of my life that were negatively contributing to my mental health and 
after seeking help, I was able to start realizing that a lot of this was in my own head, uh, but a lot of it was contributed by factors that I had control of. And if I was to change them and look at different paths, then things could and did change. Um, so with the politics, um, yeah, regrettably, I, I, I did um, drop out of that. I give it a good crack. I think I lasted about six or eight months and just let that go to pursue other things. And when it came to getting help, what actually pushed you to do that? Because I think a lot of people who are in that despair and feeling hopeless can be very difficult to then take that step to go and seek help because one, you know, believing that it still can get better, knowing also where to go and get help and then getting up and taking yourself there. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. Can you talk about that period? Yeah, I definitely can. It, it must be so difficult for, for somebody in that position to seek help. I know there's so many options and uh, I work for Headspace, which is an option for people to go to. And I see every day the, the opportunities and the pathways that people have to come to us. But when you're in, when you're in that moment, um, and for me, it was a very personal, intimate moment that it, it just clicked, that it was quite low in despair. I didn't feel like there was an option for me. I felt very exhausted. And so for me, I, I was lucky enough to have the support of somebody to take me and push me on to seek those helps. And it was very, was holding my hand through those initial phases of going to the doctors um, to seek out a, um, a mental health um, care plan and then going onwards to, to seek further help. And what was that particular moment? Was um, What was happening at that time? It was the lowest of the low. It was that build-up of overtime pressures and just genuine moment I can vividly still feel it where I just I decided just to let go of this imaginary hand that was just keeping me there it's very hard to explain you know when you when you're depressed and you you're super anxious it's quite put a lot of pressure on yourself and you know you're struggling against the tide to stay up and it was a moment I just lay in bed and I I just went I'm, I'm done I'm exhausted this just let the waves take me under really did it feel like giving up or was it uh, like what sort of hand were you letting go of? Was it a negative grip or or was it reaching a moment where you were like, okay, I have to get help? Like what exactly was it? For me, it was a moment of just of exhaustion. I just need to lie down for a while type of attitude. So for me to have my ex-girlfriend there at the time basically pick me up and walk me through step by step um, that's the that was the the place I was at. So was that when you went to her and said, "No, look at that that point we we were laying in bed together." If I can put it that way, um, it's not that type of podcast, but um, yeah. But I, it was just a moment of where I was so quiet. It was all inside my head, and I just said it out loud in the darkness of, "I give up." And from there, it started the conversation between us two, and that was the moment that I felt everything to do with my mental health just started to open up and blossom a little bit so I could just pick at those uh, blossoms one at a time, really. So was that about acceptance? I think it was. It was really just a moment of saying, I have, I have issues, I have a problem, I need help. But being so exhausted that I wasn't able to take care of it myself, I put a lot of pressure, as I've mentioned, about taking on responsibilities and new things all the time and wanting to do new things. 
So to say for a minute that I was the one that needed help, it was very difficult and it just came from, and the only moment I saw that I could do that was when it was, I was at my rock bottom really. So all that time leading up to that point, you felt like you were just fighting it, you know, not wanting that to be part of who you are and not wanting to accept it. And that was actually the thing that was stopping you from being able to deal with it and, and move on. Yeah. Do you know what? I've, I've never really thought about it in that way until you, you put it so clearly. And I can see it now that I was, I was basically just picking jobs. I was picking education. I was picking more stresses, kind of just in the hopes that it would, it would just block out all the mental health issues I was having. And yeah, were you someone who just wanted to be super busy to try and fill that space so you always had a, a distraction and you know, the more you had to do, the less you'd be able to think. Yeah, the think was the important part. You, you're doing new things, so you're thinking about them, so you don't have to think about what you're thinking about. Bit complicated, that, but. So when you went to actually go and get help, what did you do? Did you walk into the Headspace offices or did you call someone or how did that go to start off with? I, I could have. I, um, I could have just walked into to Headspace and they would have been able to take care of me. Um, but for me, it was about going to the doctor. And basically saying that there was something wrong in the same way that you would if you've broken your arm. I walked in and said, I'm having these thoughts. Um, they're quite negative. And from there, it was, it was a very guided process, really, to getting a health, mental health care plan and then going on to, to headspace at the time for me. And so when you started that process and you went to that doctor's appointment, um, did it allay your fears and give you some confidence pretty much from the get-go that actually this wasn't that unusual and that there are places to go for help because you must have had some anxiety uh, <laughs> about what it would actually be like to go and tell someone who's not, you know, your girlfriend that, yeah, I'm actually having these problems because that was the first time that you'd done that to someone, to a stranger anyway. Oh, very much, very much so. Um, it, it felt, I remember feeling that it was it was just weakness. It was It was me declaring that I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to take it on my own. And I remember feeling quite weak at that point in time. And do you now think that actually it was the opposite? Very much the opposite now, very much. And um, yeah, with my work, I do encourage other young people to to, to speak up really about it. And it, it, looking back, that moment of sharing it with a complete stranger and being recognized that that's a normal thing and that it's not a normal thing. I'll, rephrase that it's, a, it's an experience that many people have and that, that many people find a solution to it's so relieving and it, it gave me back that energy that i just completely lost i knew that this was something that i would be able to overcome why is it a show of strength to talk about these things and admit them to yourself and then actually go and have those conversations like why why is that not weak i think um as as a as a man, it's quite difficult, and you may experience this yourself through groups of mates. There's there's a persona that you have. And I'm not talking about the persona that we spoke about, um, but you know you have to be boisterous, you have to be a lad and bravado stuff. Yeah, masculine stuff. You know we don't talk about that stuff. We're tough. We we are impenetrable. We can do anything. We're hard. And at the end of the day, inside our head, that might not be the case. And, so it was one of the things thinking that, well, my friends aren't going to respect me or have the same love for me that they do now if I actually 
you know bring up something that's real oh yeah very much so because as i was saying if you if you're one of those lads in the group and you like to be the the the, the joker you like to be that one that's always funny and it's always the brighter side of life and don't worry about this that you, you you're just pulling the rug from your own self really when you're like hey guys i'm really sad and i think really negatively negatively about myself it really ruins the conversation about football and it's uh it, it's not a fun moment to have what did you fear that they were gonna say if you did come out with something like that i think at the time one of my thoughts was that not that they wouldn't support me, but the support that they would be able to provide would be close to useless. No offense to them, but it would be, oh, you'd be all right. You know, cheer up. Things will be okay. And I guess I that's, that's all most of us sort of know how to say, because although we might want to support someone, we don't necessarily know how to do that. And if we don't have anxiety or depression or whatever it is that they have, we probably can't fully understand them. No, not at all. And I'm not. I'm not criticizing them for for that because it's such a difficult conversation to have, and especially if somebody brings it out and, and you don't know what to do, that that must be must be um, quite anxious for for that person as well. Like it's so much responsibility for another person that they might not have even been expecting. And the typical response is to say, "You'll be right." Yeah, you know? as it is, which is not a bad thing because you, you. I mean, what else? What else do you say? But what else do you say? What in in your experience as a peer support worker? What are things that close friends can actually say or suggest, or do they just shut up and listen in that scenario? The there's so many things that you can say. You can say that you're there for them. You can say that whenever they need, I will help you through, and I'll be there and I'll supply um, supply what you need, but. The most important part that you can do as a friend is just to listen. It's just to listen to what they have to say. You're not expected to have the answers. You're not expected to know what the solution is. But what you can do is you can help them to find out what those solutions are and what those pathways are as well. People also say stuff like, oh, just stop worrying. Stop worrying about it. <laughs> to an anxious person. You know, why is that completely missing the point? It's missing the point because as an anxious person, you can worry about everything. There is not one thing you don't have to worry about. As an anxious person, you, you're constantly thinking about things to worry about. If, the, if you haven't thought about something to worry about, that's a concern in itself. And it's everyday situations. It, it's, it's per room there are situations that you overthink and you overanalyze just so you're ready for that situation to occur. And people who don't experience that was just, you know, they say, just get over it or just just stop it. And I th perhaps they can't think past that or put themselves in your shoes. But someone who's got anxiety, they just can't. They can't just snap out of those thought patterns or, um, you know, just be different without learning the strategies to be able to start to cope with that, that sort of thing. Yeah, not easily. It's not easy to snap out of being anxious. I'm... I consider myself to be an anxious person and I suffer from anxiety and it, I probably will for quite a while. I don't know if there is an end point for my anxiety. So that's just the way I think. It's the way I analyze things. It's the way I go about my business. But as you touched upon, there are methods that I use that I can kind of just um, ground myself again and I can think about things logically and go, oh, okay, is this really the, the best way to think about the situation? 
And so you can flesh out some of those strategies, you know, whether it's your breathing or physical exercise or what other things that you do now that keep yourself in check. I think a great setup to your day within your mind is super important. So meditation is is mine. I'm on and off with meditation. I don't 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 preach to be the Dalai Lama or, or, or whatnot with my meditation. Um, but that tends to help. Um, exercise is, is fantastic. And again, I don't do that every day. Um, I'm not perfect, but it's knowing that there are strategies there that you can use to help out with setting yourself up. And then when you're going through your day, if you do encounter one of those situations where your anxiety does start to peak, then you can just check in with yourself, have a, another look at the situation. And if you're confident enough, maybe invite somebody in just to discuss that little scenario to go, am I overthinking this a little bit? And back to when you were dealing with the the process of coming to terms with anxiety and you went to the doctor yeah. and they, did they recommend straight away that you went to Headspace or did you go somewhere else first? No. And this is kind of one of the, um, the negatives that I have with current GPs and doctors is that um, I've had the experience of going through a mental health kind of plan a couple of times now. And it's quite difficult once you have a mental health care plan you can be sometimes put into the wilderness a little bit, whereas you have the plan. Now you can go find someone who's willing to help you and is able to help you. You're in a situation where you don't know any any mental health clinicians or psychologists. You're left in the in the woods a little bit. Which would be most people. Which would be the majority of people, unfortunately. It's it's quite easy for, for somebody who's a bit younger um, because Headspace is, is a national brand. It's very much able um, and puts itself out there as being the open door service that it is. Now that I'm out of that age bracket that they cover, I tend to I'm starting to have a, a new in outlook uh, into mental health as a uh, an ongoing adult, should I say? And it can be quite daunting. I re recently received a mental health care plan um, to go back to see a psychologist. I had no idea where to begin. <laughs> I know there's psychologists out there, and you can Google you want to go to and how you book an appointment or go about that or medicare levy uh duties pay I, I, honestly it's quite daunting and so uh, what are you doing in that respect now me personally i am seeing a psychologist uh, I, every two weeks uh, i know that that's a strategy for me it's a space where i feel confident to talk openly about my thoughts and, and my feelings and that really helps because it's able to structure, be able to put a structure in place to analyze what's going on with me and where my thoughts are. Um, so when did you actually end up working with Headspace? So I started with Headspace the end of last year, come December, as a peer support worker. Um, but previously, I've been in and about the place. Um, I was a youth ambassador, which is a, a great initiative that takes young people who past, present, might not even be a part of Headspace service. Um, to go out into universities and community uh, places like sports clubs and just raise awareness and destroy the stigma that surrounds um, mental health. How did you go from seeking help from Headspace to becoming an ambassador? That's a pretty big leap, you know, from being in such a dark, difficult place where you're sort of on your knees with it all to Very being much. someone who's actually helping others. How big of a step or process was that going from one to the other? I think for me, my journey is it's very, it's been a progression to a very positive place and it's continuing to be a, a progression to a positive place. So for me, from the initial service that I received to then 
being in a good place enough to go, hey, I'm, I'm keen to give this a try. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to go talk to, to young people and say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. There, there are options and there are places where we can go that will get us to a good place. And I was lucky enough to get involved with Shane at Headspace, um, who was able to set me up in the Youth Ambassadors. And how has helping others with similar issues helped you? I'm learning something new about myself every single time I talk openly about my mental health. When I'm with a young person who is in a very difficult spot and we're able to have one-on-one conversations that that are very open, it's amazing how much people are willing to to tell a complete stranger. Um, But when I'm in those those moments, I learn just as much as what I, I hope another young person learns because every single journey is so different you may be able to associate yourself with parts of theirs, but no two are identical, not at all. And so do you believe it comes back to just listening? You know, no matter how much you can relate to someone, if you can listen to them, you can at least be there for them in some respect? Yeah, I think the, import- the most important aspect is listening to somebody about their mental health. But sometimes it is about taking on a bit of responsibility if you can to help them out because I know from my journey that if it wasn't for the hand-holding of that girlfriend at the time I wouldn't be here today. How has your um, idea of what it means to be a man changed from when you first started dealing with anxiety to where you are now? I'm definitely a lot more open about my own masculinity. I'm very comfortable with um, a lot more of my flamboyance and a lot more of who I am in that aspect. I don't feel as if I have to be that blokey bloke. Not that I ever was, but there's so much less pressure to be that person now that I can just be myself and, and be that person who's, who's not the blokiest of blokes. And what was the process of letting go and actually getting to a point where you were comfortable doing that? Because I'm sure you didn't just switch it on and off. <laughs> Again, it comes down to a gradual process, but being able to address those thoughts and those concerns that I had in my own mind and my own nervousness of what other people thought, it's relieving to take some of those aspects away and give yourself a bit of confidence and say, well, it's okay to, to, to wear that and it's okay to be that. And I, th- I think one of the, my major um, hurdles that I had to overcome was that I'm, I'm a football fan. Uh, Liverpool all the way um, and that's very much a, a masculine scene any sport is if you're a footy fan um, a rugby fan very masculine to have other interests that might not be so masculine it, it, it's almost like conflicting there's a friction between the like two like you have to be one or the other to be a real man yeah so to be in those football circles you you have to be football all the way and you have to like particular things so if you don't it bit odds there your options aren't so open to, to make friends or whatnot in that circle. But I think being true to yourself is more important. So being able to say, I love football, but I also like these other things that might not be as masculine. Uh, it's, it's given me a lot of confidence over the time. Well, that's that stigma that we're trying to work against that you know men are, like you said before, all one way and don't have feelings and don't express them and love beer and love football <laughs> and love women and and men and that's yeah. it and that's you don't necessarily have to be one thing or the other and we all obviously feel we all have feelings and we all have 
pressures and we all struggle with this, that and the other and um, actually putting it out there and not hiding those parts of ourselves doesn't mean that we can't be the rest of it as well. You don't have to be all sensitive and, and all um, all about your emotions or, or, or all hard all the time. You can be a be a person very much you i'm very optimistic now and i'm starting to see my blinkers have been ta- taken off and i'm starting to see that you don't have to just be one category you don't have to be one or the other you you can be whatever you want to be and if you cross over into different box check boxes let's say all the better it just makes you a more interesting person it gives you more flavor and the stress of trying to fit into one box or the other th- for fear that the people who are also in that particular box wouldn't accept you or want you there if you were going to branch out in any sort of way. That's got to be where a lot of the the stress comes from. Yeah, I think that can be a, an area where a lot of anxiety for a lot of people can, can come from. Being in that situation where you feel constrained, you're obviously going to start questioning yourself and that voice in your own head is going to start questioning your alignments towards that particular group. And so when you started to stop, being that persona or feeling like you really had to put that on and, and not be yourself. Were your fears warranted? Did you lose people from your life or lose opportunities or was it actually mostly just in your mind? A lot of things did change for me. Um, a lot of my social circles um, changed, but the fear that of those changing um, affected me dramatically. They didn't, they didn't materialise at the end of the day. You know, I was able to make new friends. I was able to... to try things that I wanted to try and people accept them and new people come into my life because I was doing those things and not the old things. And so because of those changes, a lot of the voices in my own head and a lot of my anxiety started to to dissipate really. So the things that you were holding on to weren't actually helping you? No, no, they definitely weren't. And it's that idea that I liked and I enjoyed that, that mask that I was putting on that persona that was there. That was something that I almost looked up to. And so the friends that were coming towards that persona, they were very much the, the, the people I wanted to be with. They were very much the people that I wanted to be a, around. But it wasn't true to me and it wasn't true to myself. And so did those people actually disappear when you started to come to groups with this stuff? Yeah, they yeah they did, unfortunately. A lot of people did start to, to dissipate when I became a, a lot more truthful to myself and a lot more truthful and open to them. But that's change. That's what comes and I think the, the biggest success for me was being open and accepting it myself and that, that was the greatest achievement really. Did that hurt though? Was that confusing that, you know, when you started really expressing who you felt you really were that those people that you thought were close friends of yours didn't actually want to be around you as much? Yeah, in the moment it's, it's extremely difficult. It's very painful. You know, you, you establish these relationships with people and for them to fall apart, that's your support structure. Uh, and when you don't have those supports that you Because you're finding you out that they're not your real friends, really, aren't you? Yeah, it's, you know, that, that, that term, the real friends, it's usually associated with, with different things. So That's a pretty to, sweeping statement. I guess, yeah. I guess in my own um, perspective, I would think of a, a true friend as someone who's really going to be there for the real you, you know, no matter what difficulties you're going through. And in defense of them, really, I think when you're on a path of your own self-discovery, they, they might not be there for the journey for that, and it might not be in their interest to do that with you. And it's as difficult as that is, you kind of have to accept that, especially when you are enjoying 
the experience yourself and you know that it's taking you towards a better place. Yeah, or a better place for you and I guess a different place for and I guess it's very rare that we actually find friends and, and relationships that are going to continue on for life and that's going to go through you know, thick and thin. That's not a normal thing to be able to find. What did you start to attract to your life, though, when you were becoming more honest with yourself and getting help? More positive people started becoming involved in my life. Um, I'm very fortunate with my current girlfriend. She came into my life at not an easy point. I was, I was quite in a low place when we met, but... Where she was able to come with me, um, it was it was joyous, and yeah, it, I've genuinely found someone who who I love and adore, and that's because she was able to come with me on that journey. Uh, and she, she, I'm very lucky to have her in my life. And I found other people who, um, without the journey that I've been on till that point, I wouldn't have come across, and I wouldn't have have become friends with them and explored jo- their journeys, and they wouldn't have been able to explore mine either. So it sounds like where you're going now feels authentic it feels like you being your true self in your relationships and your friendships and being honest with yourself and where you're going Um, and although you've been through that pain of having to drop some of your old relationships and and where you were going in that direction you must feel just a lot more um, honest and do you have that feeling that you were always missing sort of now yeah i definitely feel grounded i feel solid in myself of where i'm going and the things that i want to achieve Um, i'm so positive about them I don't know how I'm going to get there. All I know is that I have a goal and I'm going to get there. I just don't know how. And now that's part of the exciting thing about about my life. Whereas previously, that would have been a nightmare. That would have been one of those situations where I wouldn't have been able to stop thinking and overanalyzing it. Yeah. So Realizing it's okay to not have all the answers. And in fact, no one has anywhere close to no. all the answers. No. And the journeys can be difficult. The, the, they might not be easy. You can overcome them, and I'm so lucky that I've had the experience, while being negative, the experience to to know myself and learn how to navigate those rough situations. What have you learned through all this that you wish you'd known years ago? That would have made a difference years ago. On a personal level, I think what we just talked about, knowing that it's okay where you're going to end up and things are going to be okay, and it's okay to be a bit silly with your dreams. Um I've already talked about football enough before making this a football podcast, but I want to get into football and that's a silly dream to have. And I don't know how I'm not a footballer, not a very good one at least, but that's where I want to go. And I'm, I'm working in mental health now. and I don't know how that's going to combine, but I know that at some point it probably will. I'm very excited for that. But that's all right. As long as you've got, you feel like the right attitude and I suppose you are taking action. And when it comes to your mental health in general, it sounds like, you know, it's totally all right to be um, experiencing issues or feeling down or, you know, going through whatever your particular crisis is, but there comes a point where you do have to take some action. Yeah. I think if I could put another thing onto the most important thing I could tell my, my previous self is that your mental health is the most important part of you. And you might not see that at the time. And I wish, I wish I could say, don't load yourself up. Don't take on all these extra responsibilities and try and cram that that mindset back into its box. It's not going to work, and that's only going to make the box bigger and spill out and less controllable. Do you think your old self would have been in a place where they were ready to listen to you? No, stubborn enough. I wouldn't have listened to myself back then, which is kind of the lesson that it's been taught, really, is that it's gotten to me at this point. 
and I've, I've learned that lesson hard, unfortunately, but it's a lesson now that I can, that I can try and talk to other people about and hopefully just step in before it got to the same point where I was at. So do you, do you wish you could have changed the past now or do you wish you never went through any of it or how do you feel about it all now? No, I don't wish I changed anything. There's a, there's a lot of negative. There's a lot of things I regret. Would I change any of it? No, because I have the opportunity now to talk to so many other people about it and step in if, if briefly into their lives to change the direction, if ever so slightly. So no, because I can use my experience and I can use my story to help other people. But with anxiety, I mean, you don't just, as you said before, like you don't just get over it and that's that and you're cured and you can sit on top of the mountain and preach down to everyone else about having the answer. Guys, the solution is tea. Um, <laughs> it's not how it works. It's just not. So what, what work do you have to do to make sure that you, um, you know, keep, keep moving forward and stay in a good place? It's quite a difficult question for me personally. Um, I'm always trying new things. Um, I tend to, to find a thing that, I'm, that I enjoy. And then a couple of months down the line, it doesn't work. So I have to, to find something else that will, that will fill that void. And for other people, it might be similar, but it's about the journey of finding that one thing you're passionate about, I think, that will just give you that purpose and that goal to go forward. And what about those thought patterns? You must be pretty good at recognizing now when you're slipping into a, uh, an anxious state and sort of what things do you do to get yourself out of that or what do you try to remember? Or, you know, talked about meditation before. Is that a big part of it? Yeah. I, I, w I wish I was smart enough to be able to recognize all the situations now, but admittedly, I'm not. I'm not perfect. And there's still situations that emails scare the life out of me. Um in an, in an anxious way that it's something that most people probably don't understand how an email can be one of the most anxious inducing moments of a person's day and when I have to send a hundred a day it's ridiculous but it's looking at the larger picture for me it's knowing that that is one occurrence that I can work on my anxiety isn't attacking me at every single point of my day that it has the opportunity to do and when it does there are things that I can do I can step away and I can readjust it's just not to take that on board as well as all the others and not do anything about them. We can't touch upon like a cure for anxiety and a cure for, for, men, for mental health. You know, there are moments where you, you kind of want to just sit back and go, this sucks. What, why, why me? Why have I got this mental illness? Why, why do I have to put in the effort when somebody else doesn't? But then you realize that well, everyone's got something in their life that they have to put effort into. Mine, lucky enough, is just I have to put effort into myself. I have to, to know my own strengths and my own uh, inner thoughts. I, I take it as a positive now. I haven't in the past, but yeah. Yeah, so it never stops. And you've got to be, got to be vigilant and not think negatively of that as well. You know, not, not be angry or, or upset because oh, you're never going to get over it because getting over it's beside the point. It doesn't really exist. And being all right with the fact that, you know, we all have to work on stuff for as long as we go on for. And that, that's quite all right and actually a positive thing. Very much so. It's a, it's a journey of self-discovery, really. Now we hear from PhD candidate Phoebe Drioli-Phillips on how men communicate about anxiety online. Phoebe, tell us a little bit about your research. So um, I'm studying men's experiences of living with anxiety and I'm doing that through uh, looking at men's online forum posts. 
So posting to forums when they can sort of have a sense of being anonymous and um, where they're able to seek help from other men going through similar sort of experiences. And so what sort of things have you seen from that research? It's been really interesting, actually. So we're sort of doing, uh, working on four separate papers. The first one has been really interesting. We're talking about authenticity in anxiety. And I think what the sort of central message there was anxiety can be a bit of a tricky thing in that anxiety is a really normal human experience and everyone experiences anxiety to some extent. Um, so then when you're really struggling with it and it's impacting your quality of life, there's quite a bit of work to be done around almost convincing people that that is the case and that's not any other explanation for why you're having a difficult time. Um, so yeah, it being a real medical condition, there's a lot of work that goes into people understanding that that's what's going on for you. So convincing who? Uh, people on the forum, um, sometimes convincing doctors, convincing people in your life, your friends, your family, your work. Work comes up a lot that um, it's something that's not well understood in the workplace and that's quite difficult for men or the men that I'm sort of reading their experiences of. Yeah. So one of the main issues is that people are sceptical because they'll say, oh, well, I feel nervous sometimes or I feel a bit anxious about this and that. That's, yeah. You know, that's normal, but feeling anxious versus actual anxiety are quite different. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And so there's a lot of people, you know, need to get a diagnosis, but that can be tricky in and of itself. People talk a lot about the, you know, in terms of making a good case for it being authentic anxiety, real anxiety. Um, people talk a lot about the severity of it. And so that in itself has been really interesting because I think sometimes people think that anxiety is maybe less of a severe issue or a serious issue than, say, depression. And and what I think and what it seems like these men are saying, that it's just as severe and it can really impact just as much on your quality of life. So what is a severe case in, in what you've read? What really makes it qualify as being severe? And this sort of speaks to another paper that we're working on. Um and we're talking about control and a, a sense of having lost control to the anxiety and that really comes up a lot and for a lot of people that loss of control can feel like a complete loss of function and inability to get out of bed, to speak to people, to go to work, to do your sort of really important day-to-day things um, and because of their anxiety they feel like they've lost ability to do that altogether. So that's, you know, that's pretty severe. <laughs> can you describe some of the things that they say about it or how they describe it and what stops them getting out of bed or stops them doing what they want to do, the sort of thought processes that they articulate? Yeah, well, um, that's another really interesting thing is we see a lot of um, people talking, sort of creating an internal dichotomy. So there's the self and then there's the anxious self. So we hear a lot of people talking about like, you know, my mind, my anxious mind, my thoughts, I my brain is running away from me, my, my thoughts are running away from me and an inability to sort of regain control over those things and as a result of that not being able to do simple tasks like pick an outfit for the day because their thoughts feel so out of control to them. And so how debilitating does it get for some people? I think it's like it's pretty it can be really severe and actually in the past there's been a really well-established link between depression and suicide and that's certainly true, but increasingly we're starting to see that there is actually quite a strong link between anxiety and suicide as well. So talking about severity, you know, it's about as terrible as it can get, yeah. And so you see lots of men going to forums, speaking to other men, or how do those forums work in terms of people reaching out? The forum that I'm looking at is not just for men, although they uh, forums like that certainly exist. 
in terms of my research, that's a bit tricky because it's password protected, so we can't um, sort of get access to that data. But it seems like that's um, increasingly common for people to seek support in that sort of way, like going online. And obviously because of the values of, you know, being able to remain anonymous, you know, that's appealing if it's, you know, it can be such a sensitive topic to talk about. And I think it it looks like for men in particular, that might be a valuable way of seeking support because we know, you know, some of the issues, it can be more difficult for men to talk to friends and yeah, yeah, things like that and feeling like they should be another way when they are in fact quite anxious and the sort of shame that surrounds that forums can be a really good source of support. Is that because it um, it seems to relate to masculinity in some sense that men think that in order order for them to live up to their stereotype of what a man is that they should handle their own problems and shouldn't be worrying about these sorts of things and certainly shouldn't let anyone else see that they're struggling. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a big part of it and you see a lot of people talking about their sort of responsibilities to loved ones, to their families, to their, you know, to their jobs and they feel like that's something they have to sort of maintain a front there because, you know, of those responsibilities and so, you know, going to the forum is, a, is an opportunity to speak a bit more openly um, but yeah, certainly it looks like you know, stuff around masculinity can can it can make help seeking more difficult. But I think it's not always that way. I think in a lot of cases, having a sense of masculinity can be something that encourages men to seek help like that. Uh, having a responsibility to family members, if it seems like not seeking help is going to interfere with their abilities to meet their, those responsibilities, then you know, masculinity can actually be a really helpful thing. In order to be a man, the sort of man that I want to be, I need to seek help. And so it's not. It's not always one way. Masculinity doesn't always stop help seeking, but it can also, you know, lead to it. I suppose in, in order to look after other people, you have to be willing yeah. to look after your own health as well. Yeah, and, and exactly. See that there's definitely no shame in that. Exactly. Um, and so, what sort of responses do people get on these forums? In the one that I'm looking at, it's it is really supportive. It's a lot of. Um, what we call second stories. So basically just validating experience and saying, hey, you know, like I'm going through the same thing. And I think that is really helpful because I think often for people going through this, you, you can start to feel alone, like you're the only one who's going through this, who's ever gone through this. Um, so just hearing that other people are going through similar experiences, I think is really, really helpful. So that's, yeah, there's a lot of that. And so then the person who made the original post, how do they respond once they start getting those positive responses back? Usually, well, if it's to those sort of normalising responses, what's really interesting is that other forum users might come in with advice for the original poster, and that's what's typically not taken so well. So not in that people don't get upset or anything about it, it's sort of just ignored. And I think that sort of speaks to what the purpose of the forum really is. People aren't going there to get advice or to hear solutions for their problems. They sort of just want a community of, of like-minded people to share, like, hey, I'm going through this and, and that's okay and that's normal. Is this a fairly new thing, these kinds of forums for these sorts of issues? Or yeah, are you looking so. are you going back quite a few years I've or I've gone it- back uh, a couple of years. So I guess in the scheme of things that's pretty recent. Um and they've been doing research in this area for close to twenty years, but it's really picked up of late because of the internet and the way that we use it and, and people are more and more turning to these sort of platforms for for support. Is that enough to just voice that you're having these issues and then get um, you know, positive feedback and get support back. But what about actually accessing services? Are there people on there suggesting, you know, you need to go and do this or you need to go and get more help? Um, 
because I'm not sure that it would be enough to just say, I mean, obviously a great first step to admit mm-hmm. to yourself and then to go and seek help and talk about it. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but then like, where do you go from there? Yeah, I think that's very true. It, it is obviously something that in so many cases needs to be dealt with in a professional setting with a psychologist or, or you know, going to a GP or whatever it is. Um, a lot of the men turning to the forum are already going down those avenues So they're already seeing a psychologist and this is sort of like an extra bit of support between sessions. Um, And for the men who aren't, you know, already engaged with mental health services, there is a lot of encouragement to do that. So it's very supportive in that sense. Yeah. And do you see some of these cases improve? Do they come back to the forums and say that, you know, things have gotten better because I took this course of action or...? Yeah, actually, you do. You do on occasion see people come back and and make posts like that, which is obviously really encouraging. And they'll often give their tips and tricks on, you know, what what help decide from going to the forum. So yeah, you definitely do see people doing a bit better. And what are you trying to achieve with your research? I'm really wanting to find ways of speaking about anxiety that resonate with men. I think that one of the issue is. If you've lived with it for such a long time or it's really severe, sometimes you don't even realise how difficult of a time that you're having. And so it's really important that we get health messaging out there that sort of resonates with people. So if they hear it, they go, oh, yep, that's me. And actually, I don't have to live like this. There are ways of improving the way I feel, um, such as going to a psychologist or a GP. So we, that's sort of the first thing is we need messaging to be really effective. If you've got advertising about seeking mental health services, but it doesn't resonate with the people it's trying to reach, then it's not you know, useful. <laughs> so how do you think we do be effective in reaching men with these kinds of issues? Like what is what is effective messaging in your eyes? Well, yeah, I think um, the stuff about uh, feeling a sense of having lost control, I think that that's really important, themes of control. The other thing that I haven't really touched on and I think is really important is that there's there's really frequently a sense coming through of feeling like they are one way when they should be another So what I mean by that is in terms of their families, I'm this sort of father and I should be this father. And because, you know, I feel like I'm not, I'm anxious. Or at this age, I should have reached, you know, whatever goals at my work and I haven't. And and that's the source of my anxiety. And I think often we talk about anxiety in like a in a physical way like hearts racing and and sweating and shaking and things like that. And I think that that's true and that's really important. But for a lot of people, it's the you know the thoughts and the, the cognitions that are going along with it. So we really need those sorts of messaging out there. Like anxiety can just be this really strong sense of not achieving what you thought that you should be. And that is something that is worth seeking help for. And to the level that it makes you have a physical response and is something yeah, exactly. that's affecting you on a on a daily and a constant basis. Yeah, exactly. And that yeah, and those are the sorts of things where it can start that, you know, that sense of I should be this and I'm that, but exactly it can really escalate. But if people are hearing, Oh, I'm I'm sort of thinking that and I'm okay now, but maybe this is worth talking to something someone about, then that's that would be fantastic. So. And what's what's ineffective in dealing with anxiety and talking to men about these sorts of things and and I suppose talking to our friends who might have an issue or you might think a family member has an issue, you might not mm. know at all. How do we not help by doing various things? I think um, often people with all the best intentions can uh, be not that helpful with sort of like, too much positivity like you'll be fine you'll be okay actually don't worry about it your life is great 
Because what that is, it's sort of minimising, it's sort of telling them that whatever they're feeling is not valid and it's not okay. Yeah, exactly. And so I think people, when they see their loved ones struggling, they really want them to be okay. But telling them that they're okay is not going to make them okay. You know, you've really just got to listen. And on that, with saying just listen, um, you know, is that something that's easy to do or, or what does that look like? Does that look like starting conversations? Or? Yeah, for sure. I think starting conversations where you can, um, being open if anyone ever comes to you without you, you know, having started that conversation um, and just sort of keeping an eye out for things that we know are, I guess, red flags, so to speak, like um, drinking more, avoiding friends and family, um, but just sort of being there. I think that's something that anxiety really perpetuates is a sense of loneliness, like feeling alone, feeling like no one understands. So it's really important that when we think that loved ones are struggling, that we, we do what we can to you know, stick by them and, and encourage them to know that that's not the case, they're not alone. How optimistic are you with these forums and campaigns that we see these days that this sort of an issue will continue to become destigmatized? I'm pretty hopeful, actually. I feel like just in the last few years I've seen a really significant change in the way that we talk about mental health Um, and I feel like it started with depression and now we're really starting to understand more about anxiety as well so I'm really hopeful and I think I think that there will always be anxiety will always be an issue but the more we talk about it and the more kind and compassionate we are to people who are going through it you know the better the outcomes will be. And is it something that people really need to deal with for life, you know, once they've had a a diagnosed anxiety? No, no, I don't think that it is. Um, It it is sometimes talked about as a chronic issue, but they're increasingly talking about not just anxiety, but depression, other mental health issues as something that can come and go more like a common cold, you know, right? Sometimes you're healthier than others and sometimes your mental health is better than others and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing. It doesn't have to be a chronic thing. How how effective is getting help in your experience? Uh, I mean, it looks to be pretty. It looks to be pretty helpful. Like the the data on it, especially talk therapy, it's more effective than people would think. Really, the outcomes are really impressive. So it's it's worth doing for sure. And talk therapy. Can you just explain that? Yeah. So things like cognitive behavioural therapy, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, where you sort of work to first be aware of your thought processes and then learn to accept them or change them, um, so that eventually the way that you're thinking is a bit more comfortable. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. Also, guys, it's really important that we're part of the conversation about our health and well-being, and it's easy to do. Just Google Freemasons Foundation Center for Men's Health and click on the Men's Health Register to sign up and help out with much-needed surveys and studies that make us all better off. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Young Blood Podcast Community Facebook group and follow Young Blood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.